Welcome. My name is Yvonne Benninger-Rothschild. I'm the Executive Director of the EICC New York. This podcast is brought to you by the European American Chamber of Commerce, a platform where Europeans and Americans connect to do business. To produce this series, we have asked our members from across Europe and the United States to discuss current events and how they may affect transatlantic business activities. In addition to this recording, I invite you to listen to all of our podcasts. You can find them on our website at eaccny.com right slash podcasts. I hope you will enjoy the insights our members together with my team have put together. And I encourage you to subscribe to the EACC podcast series on your favorite podcast server and to rate and share them with your friends and colleagues. Hello, my name is Paolo Frazzini Melendez. I manage member engagement at the European American Chamber of Commerce in New York, and I'm also your host for this series. So in this Brexit Music episode, we have Sari Long and Claire Nilsson from Fagra Drinker. We're very happy to have you both here with us. So their focus will be amusing about immigration and mobility from a U.S. and U.K. standpoint come Brexit. And this also includes other overarching themes that will help shed light on key immigration issues that you and your business should take into account by the end of the transition period on December 31st, 2020. Um, so a little about our speakers. Sari Long helps clients who are crossing borders with immigration, I-9 compliance, and worksite enforcement issues. And with that in mind, she focuses a lot on U.S. inbound immigration matters. And alongside Sari, we have Claire Nilsson with us from Favorite Drinker. She's based in their London office and is a qualified lawyer in New York, England and Wales, and Trinidad and Tobago. Having this dual work experience from both sides of the Atlantic, we're very excited to hear your thoughts. So thank you both for joining us in this episode. And now I'll pass it along to you, Claire. Thank you so much for that introduction. Um, my name's Claire Nelson, and as I've said, I'm an immigration lawyer. I serve as counsel in the London, UK office of Vagary Drinker. Um, I've been practicing both UK and US immigration law for a number of years and almost ma I'd also managed global cases worldwide. EACCNY's last podcast was about a week ago. And that podcast was a great discussion about immigration and mobility of UK and EU nationals post-Brexit. If you haven't listened to that podcast already, I would encourage you to do so. But the purpose of this podcast is really to expand upon that prior podcast and ex explain briefly where there may be some immigration impact um, transatlantically for UK, US businesses. Excellent point, Claire. Uh, that was a really great episode. I'm really excited to be doing this podcast with you for all of you listening from cyberspace. I am Sari Long, as Paolo introduced, and I practice U.S. immigration law in Washington, D.C. Um, Claire and I have the chance to work together a lot to advise our clients on transatlantic issues, and we love solving thorny immigration and global mobility issues, which 2020 has presented in spades. But as a U.S. person, Claire, I am going to need you to explain this to me. And by this, I mean Brexit. Explain this to me like I'm a really smart CEO who moves managers to work between New York and London all the time. What does Brexit mean to a company like mine in the way that I move people back and forth? 
I love your question. Just explain Brexit to me. You know, just a small topic there. Um, well, on the face of it, Brexit should not really make too much of a difference to a company transferring people from the US to the UK. Um, US citizens are what's known as non-visa nationals in the UK, meaning that in most cases they can enter the United Kingdom as a business visitor without a visa. And this will continue to be the case after the 1st of January. That should be unaffected by Brexit. If US nationals need to work in the UK, they've always needed to be sponsored by a UK company for a work visa. And that UK company must hold a sponsor license in order to sponsor foreign nationals for work visas. So most often this sponsorship is in either the tier two general or the tier two intra-company transfer visa categories. After Brexit, so after the 1st of January, um, the UK immigration system will be overhauled to apply consistently to all visa applicants worldwide, wide, both EU and non-EU. So all UK companies that currently hold a sponsor license will have that license automatically transferred over to the new star sponsor license within the next month. This means that these UK companies will be able to sponsor all foreign nationals, including Americans, in the new categories which are replacing the tier two, which are to be called the skilled worker and the intra-company transfer categories. Now, because the new immigration system has been overhauled to include EU nationals who are used to significantly simpler processes to enter the UK, there are some aspects of the new system that will be more lenient than the existing system. And because they apply to all nationals equally, Americans will benefit from those leniencies as well, which will include a lowering of the minimum salary thresholds and a removal of the resident labor market test. So as a CEO moving a manager from New York to London under the new system, the basic five-step system will look almost the same as it does at the moment. So firstly, um, you either will have to obtain a sponsor license for the new sponsoring UK company, or you will need to check that the existing sponsor license for the UK company has been exchanged to the new star license. Secondly, the UK company will have to issue a certificate of sponsorship in either the new skilled worker or intra-company transfer category to the individual. Thirdly, um, the individual will apply for their visa through the British authorities in the United States. Fourthly, the individual will then enter the UK with their new visa and upon arrival collect what's known as a biometric residence permit from the assigned local post office in the UK. And then finally, number five, the UK company will conduct their right to work check and the individual will then commence work for the UK company. Now, the main place where there may be a pain point, at least initially, is in the UK company applying for a new sponsor license if the company does not already hold one. There will be so many more companies applying for these under the new system that, at least initially, we suspect that the processing times for these may raise significantly. Wow, Claire, I feel so much smarter already. I feel like I could talk about Brexit to anybody. I, I, I got it. It's in, it's in hand. Well, all right. It, so it only so, everybody was so easy. Thank you, Sari. <laughs> My mother said I was born really, really bright. You know, I just pick it up easy. <laughs> but, but let's talk about between now and when Brexit actually goes into effect. You know, does anything kind of change or, or, or what can we expect between now? And I realize it's, it's pretty imminent, um, but what can we expect in just the next couple of months here? Right. So, well, as I already mentioned, those UK companies that already have a sponsor license under the existing system, over the next month or so, those are going to be um, changed over to the new star sponsor licenses. That should be done automatically by the home office. 
Um, we will st start seeing more clarifications from the Home Office regarding the new immigration system as they start to come to terms with it as it starts to run. I suspect that there may possibly be an increase in some processing times simply due to the higher usage of the new system. And I also suspect that those people um, who seek to enter the UK through airports and ports in early January are likely to be standing in much longer lines that they, than they're used to as the authorities have to get to grips with the new system and probably physically have to meet more people than they would have done previously where people were used to going through automated gates, at least until the new system is up and running more. Um, my suggestion would be anybody who can avoid traveling in early January probably should do so, just until the wrinkles have been ironed out in the system. <laughs> I would suggest everybody avoid traveling in early January uh, into the U.S. too. So let's leave the U.S. and the U.K. off our itineraries as if we were going to be traveling anyway. So that really helps. That makes a lot of sense. Is there any, this is an, a question we, we didn't really talk about in advance, but you mentioned the changeover of sponsor licenses would happen automatically. You know, is that something that, that you think is going to go smoothly or are people really going to have to keep an eye on, on, on that transfer to make sure it happens? Um, I'm hopeful. Um, I'm usually quite a down-in-the-dump kind of a person. So the fact that I'm hopeful is actually quite good. <laughs> the reason I say this is the sponsor license system, the existing sponsor license system, is all automated at the moment. It's run through a computerized system. And we've already started to see automated emails come out of the home office to individual sponsor license holding companies to explain to them that the system is going to be changing and some of the elements of the new system. And because I've already started to see those come through for some clients, I'm hopeful that the automatic changeover from one sponsor license type to another should hopefully happen quite smoothly because they seem to be on top of it at the moment. Now, you know, I don't have a crystal ball, and if I did, I'd probably have a lottery ticket sitting in my pocket right now. Um, <laughs> but, you know, as I said, I'm hopeful that this, this will be fairly smooth in terms of, of switching over one type of sponsor license for another. It's amazing. Uh, on the U.S. side, I'm, I'm, I'm insanely jealous of that automated uh, nature of your system. I wish we had that here. But it makes a lot of sense. It's super helpful. So one, one kind of last question for you on this. If you could give advice you know, to any cross-Atlantic companies post-Brexit, what would it be, whether they've been using, you know, the prior system for immigration or whether they're just going to be getting started post-Brexit, what, what do you suggest for them? The best advice I can give right now is for them to really sort of know their employee population, know their nationality, know where they're currently located, know where they travel for business on a regular basis, because these are all things that could start to um, brush up against the new system um, after the 1st of January. As I've mentioned, you know, I'm expecting there to be long lines in January and it will probably take longer to process people through the borders. U.S. nationals may experience longer waits as a result because of so many more people having to actually be physically met going through the border. So that should be expected. Um, for companies who are just coming up against the system for the first time and applying for a new sponsor license under the new system, um, I think they just need to be realistic and to try and apply as far ahead of time as possible um, because there are going to be so many more people applying for sponsor licenses under the new system that whilst they tell us it will be automated and will happen more quickly eventually, my suspicion is that at least initially, 
the processing times will, will jump quite high um, until they until they figured out the new system. But hopefully, once they figured it out and it's fully automated, hopefully it will actually be quicker than the than the system we have at the moment. We're just not at that point yet. So let me flip it back on you, Sari, because you know, let's talk about your side of the pond. How do you think Brexit is going to impact the ability of British people or EU nationals to immigrate to the US? Well, thanks, Claire. I've been waiting to talk this whole time. No, I'm just kidding. This is awesome. You mentioned it a little bit earlier, so I'll kind of pick up on it a bit now, that Brexit as an event you know, doesn't change the travel and visa requirements currently in place for either EU nationals or folks from the United Kingdom that want to come to the U.S., either as visitors or on a work visa or anything like that, despite the fact that Brexit is clearly the most significant change in British life in the past century. For us, it isn't that big of a change in terms of people coming here. So U.S. immigration rules have always been established on a per-country basis. So there aren't visas that exist that are specific kind of to the whole of the European Union such that Brexit wouldn't actually change anything with respect to what we already have in terms of our visa regime in the U.S. So if you're a Brit who wants to work in the U.S. post-Brexit, you'll need to face the usual gauntlet of limited work visa uh, uh, options here in the U.S., nearly all of which require a U.S. employer sponsor. You know this as well as anyone. There's not really a, a work visa available today that someone could, you know, kind of just get on their own and come in and work for any employer here. That's not very common. So if you're an EU national who wants to come and work in the U.S., it's the exact same thing. You know, find that employer, figure out sponsorship and kind of and kind of go through that. So that doesn't change for temporary business travel. EU nationals and Brits alike, you're still going to be eligible to travel under the visa waiver program. So that's so you don't have to get a visa from a U.S. embassy before traveling to the U.S. for business meetings, you know, and attending conferences. Conference, remember conferences? Remember when we go to a room and have a conference with people? It's been a long time. I, I can't remember the last one. The one thing that, that some transatlantic companies may want to think about and this is pretty speculative, but I think it's important um, with all of the other changes that Brexit is going to lead to is in the context of some L1 intracompany transfer or E visa categories. So those are U.S. visa categories. Brexit doesn't change the requirement for those visas, but if there are corporate changes to the ownership or the structure of a British entity and the U.S. entity because of Brexit, for some reason unrelated to immigration, you know, just corporate changes that they're making for tax reasons, who knows, there could be an impact on any L or E visa holders in the U.S. So that's something to pay attention to if you think Brexit's going to lead to any corporate restructuring within an organization that that could be impacted. Yeah, I think that's a very great point, um, especially in terms of the E visa category. In terms of trade treaties between the U.K. and the U.S., now that the UK is not going to be part of the EU anymore. Is that something that, that we need to look to? I mean, it's a really good point. I mean, I, I think we're going to see that regardless, but any individual trade treaties that are established afresh, right, established new between the US and the UK after Brexit, they could have some visa strings attached to them. Back in 1994, 
even cast our memories back that far. When NAFTA was negotiated between Canada, the U.S., and Mexico, the TN visa category was created as part of that treaty arrangement. And this allowed for Canadian and Mexican professionals in certain categories to work pretty easily in the U.S., much easier than maybe many of our other work visa categories. So while I haven't seen anything specific about any proposed trade treaties that are kind of in the works between the U.S. and the U.K. that include any visa creation, it, it, you know, why not? Something to watch. If, if Congress kind of thinks creatively from a business perspective that it would make business between the U.K. and the U.S. easier if you were able to transfer U.K. nationals more easily to the U.S., I'd say it's a smart thing to do. And any legislators listening to this podcast, you know, you can name it the Sari visa. I'd be totally fine with that. <laughs> I think that's a great idea. I, I'm a huge proponent for an E3 visa for, for UK nationals, but whether it will ever happen is a whole other situation. So let me turn your final question back on you. If no. you could give advice <laughs> to any transatlantic companies on immigrating to the US, what would that advice be? Oh, it was a rude question of me to ask you. And now it's a rude question for you to ask me. But you know what? We have kind of the same advice. I mean, really, the key advice right now is to be patient. You know, that's not really in everybody's lexicon these days, but we're going to see a new president inaugurated in January. And there's no question that there will be immediate executive orders related to immigration, as well as some resolution to this litigation that's been going on related to prior executive orders. So that's happening immediately. Whether those executive orders are going to relate to business immigration Big old question mark. Not really sure about that. But we might see some travel restrictions lifted. So right now, you know, if you've been in Europe or the UK in the past 14 days and you're not a U.S. national, you can't travel directly to the U.S. without an exemption. So maybe that travel restriction will be lifted after the president is inaugurated. Who knows? But we will undoubtedly see, I think, in 2021, a noticeable relaxation of the current scrutiny that we see on business visa filings here in the U.S. So I think if you can hang on, be patient, maybe put some of your business transfers on ice for a few months, I think companies will be able to see some success there. And I think that, you know, generally speaking, I mean, this goes on both directions from Europe into the U.S. and U.S. into Europe, that the companies moving folks like that, they need to be clear eyed about the timelines, the costs, the challenges with the immigration aspect of that. And, you know, advanced planning goes a long way. And with the right counsel, you know, you can get it done. But I think patience is really the name of the game here. So, oh, I hope I made it through that question. That was, that was a good one. It was a doozy. But I just can't thank EACCNY enough for this opportunity. Thanks, Paolo. Thanks, Yvonne. Thanks to the whole team for the opportunity to discuss these issues. And you know what? Cheers to a great 2021. That's how I'm going to leave it. I and like thank that. you, everybody, for listening. Yeah, thank you both for this lively discussion. So this concludes this episode with Sari Long and Claire Nilsson from Bigger Drinker. Thank you again for your thoughts regarding immigration and mobility in the U.S. and U.K. post-Brexit. And another thank you to our audience. We hope that you enjoyed listening to our program. And stay tuned for our next podcast where we news about Brexit. Take care.
Thank you for joining us for this podcast from the European American Chamber of Commerce, New York. Please remember to subscribe and rate this episode and be sure to check out the complete list of recordings on our website at eaccny.com right slash podcasts. If you have any thoughts or comments about this series, we would love to hear from you. Feel free to reach out to us at membership at eaccny.com to learn more about our work, how to get involved and how to join our transatlantic network.